Thanks to Cryo Malt. This is Radio Brews News. My name is Matt Kirkegaard, founder of Australian Brews News. And as ever, I'm joined by my good friend, colleague, and all-round good beer guy, Pete Mitchum. Pete, welcome back. G'day, Matt. G'day, listeners. Good to be back. Uh, how's your week been? Yeah, not too bad at all. Keeping That's, busy? Yeah. yeah it's been keeping, little... keep, keeping fit and healthy, dare I, uh, I blow my own trumpet. Oh, mate, you, mate uh, you've had a lot of positives. Uh, yesterday, uh, someone in uh, Western Australia decided that he was going to unsubscribe because of the uh, man challenge, or unfollow was his uh, uh, sarky, snarky little comment. Oh, really? Why? Uh... Mate, who knows? He, somebody who seems to only want to weigh in uh, on any discussion with, uh, with snark not uh, contributing anything to it. So, Oh, okay. Yeah. I didn't see that. Was that in, on Twitter, Facebook? Uh, I'll Twitter. Have to follow that up. Twitter. Okay. All right. So yeah, no, but uh, I wouldn't worry too much about it, um, mate. We have got a. We, we've just finished recording our guest for this week, and it's a cracking chat that goes for almost an hour. And I don't think either of us get to say much uh, in this one. So um, it, no? it's a really cracking chat. But we might just uh, um, crack on with just a little bit of the news that's uh, been this week, so we uh, can keep the show nice and tight. Yeah, done. I see. Um... James Atkinson posted on Australian Brews News this week that um, Brew are looking to uh, raise a bit of capital by selling some <laughs> shares. Yeah. What hey, is... Can I ask you, Matt, just, just quickly, just between you and me and the gay post, um, what is a premium lager? Okay. Uh, like, well, like realistically, what, what, should, what should a beer be to be a premium lager, first uh, of all? Charge more than $40 a carton for it. Is that it? That's... doesn't have to have, you know, like a, a little bit of, you know, metallic... Um, wrapping or uh, labelling or something like that is that you know or a different shape bottle or dare I say be made from all grain no. okay, so all, all grain is that not a like a I guess a precursor no no it just needs to be made with a little bit more love from the brewer uh, okay no, no, but it, it is purely a marketing term you know we want yeah. to charge a little bit more for it it doesn't actually mean anything so um, and the, the, the whole idea of brew and premium lager just doesn't seem to um you know, gel. Um, yeah, you know, it, it's been it's been around quite a few years, and and really hasn't sort of, uh, I, I guess, made much of an impact. There was a little bit of, and, and there was a little bit of impact early on um, through through their marketing, and then they branched off into the Australian draft, which was kind of piggybacked onto a veterans, you know. Uh, um, I don't know, you know, veteran affairs kind of tenuous link. Um, and, and that was brought out sort of as a, a separate brand of the same company, I think, which I think might have either confused things or, or was or was meant to, I guess, blur the edges a little bit of, of where it was coming from. But um, well done to James for... Um, breaking the story and it certainly got a lot of a lot of interest yeah i mean it did have a lot of interest because i mean brew's been one of those things look you know you don't want to come across as being too much of a shit canner shit canner or anything like that i mean brew's been one of those things that seems to have pandered to a certain demographic you know this whole buy australian um thing which when you know you could be my flag wavy yeah yeah and the whole thing just something um, and a couple of years ago, they gave away some shares, you know, for if you bought a cart and you got 10 shares and yeah. um, that they're only ever going to stay Australian. And there was a bit of a, the, the interesting thing, and it's something that we need to dig a little bit deeper into, was they tried to list a couple of years ago, but the ASX or the A, whoever, you know, um, ASIC, ASIC uh, wouldn't ASIC. allow them to register because 
they wanted to keep the share register Australian only. And obviously you can't do that because, you know, if, if, if you're a public company, anyone can buy the shares, um, you know, subject to foreign takeover, but technically anyone can buy the shares. Um, and how do you become a public company and stay 100% Australian owned um, is, is one of the things that they're going to battle. But the other thing that I found very interesting, Prof, is the if, if, they, if they get the full subscription, if they sell all of the shares that they want to, it values the company at $120 million. Um, by, by selling 500000 bucks worth of beer each year. And yeah, and then they they have it. They must they must own some very 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 expensive stainless steel. Oh wait a minute. They don't actually own any stainless steel, no. Um, and you know, it, it seems to be an old an odd little model um, that they come out and from. You know, look, they they also did something a couple of years ago where it was essentially like a franchise model where you could buy into the company and get a sales distribution area but obviously nothing came of that so they have tried a couple of different things and now they've got distribution in china that is going to guarantee them you know millions and millions of dollars to justify this uh um you know valuation but look prof i'm just going to put it this way um mountain goat which sold uh what jesus was it it was this year wasn't it or was it last year Time flies. Um, yeah early this year yeah, earlier this year. Now, depending on the, the the best figure that I've got for Mountain Goat is somewhere around fifty million dollars, um, and that comes from the Asahi annual report because they yeah, had to, 40, 47. 47, um, 47, 47 large. to fifty two. Yep. Um, somewhere in there. Yeah, and they sell a lot more than five hundred thousand dollars worth of beer. They have a very very strong brand. Um, true, they don't have a speculative distribution deal in China, but yeah. Um, one of those things, uh, I, I, I was thinking of a little aphorism um, and I was going to say a fool and his money. Um, that was the first one that leapt in my mind, but what I was going to say Caveat emptor. Caveat emptor was exactly what I was looking for. But <laughs> if, if the first one fits, uh, lead, uh, listeners, um, wear it. Um, but on the, same, on the same business of beer note, um, yesterday we had the story, Gage Roads to buy back Woolworth shares. Um, Gage Roads, the... Uh, brewer of the champion beer at the Australian International Beer Awards and a winner of quite a number of... Uh, and a trophy at the CBIA as well for the same beer for exactly. Little Dove. Yep, doing doing very well. Um, they have announced that they... Uh, and again, Prof, we probably need to get someone who's got a background in business and finance to really step us through this one. Um, but it looks like the staff are getting... The, the chance to buy some shares. Um, there's a an underwritten share um, release, and, but it, effectively it's going to allow them to buy back the Woolworth shares, um, which are only worth about 1.6 million anyway. Um, so yeah, again, it's it, it, valuations and all of this money side of things probably need some uh, expert um, to talk us through it, and uh, we might we might even get onto that for next week um, to find yeah, out a little yeah. bit more about it. But yeah. Um, so 25% of the company cost Woolworths around about $1.6 million plus another 800000 from memory way back in 2009. They're buying that back. They're going to be 100% owned. They're going to scale back their contract brewing, their lower value, lower margin contract brewing, and focus more on the beer, which obviously the beer making side of things, they're doing quite well judging by the gold medals. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think Aaron Geary's got a pretty good handle on um, uh, running a pretty 
um, clever team, I think, in terms of um, creativity versus, um, I guess, marketability. Like they're, they're they're not they haven't made any beers that are sort of over challenging for the entry level drinker. Um, but what they have made is up up to this point, um, in my humble opinion, um, pretty reasonable standard. Uh, you know, golden ales, pale ales, IPAs. Yeah, I mean, Gage Roads is one of those brands. Again, I've got a real soft spot for Gage Roads because back in the – I can't remember exactly when they founded, um, but in, in the early 2000s, um, before we saw the expan- great expansion of craft breweries, it was one of the ones that you could get in the um, bigger chains. Um, but then, Yeah, exactly. It, it, it was there for a couple of months and then would fall off the shelves or disappear. And, you know, they, they seem it, it seems to be a brewery that um, – they were quite ahead of the, the the game. They created a large brewery um, probably before there was demand for their product. Um, they were based in West Australia, but they were supplying a national market. Um, so they had a big brewery that had capacity beyond demand. There wasn't um, the transport infrastructure to get beer over this side of the country um, in, in, in the volumes that was needed. Um, yeah, in the early stages, yeah. And because, and because of that, I've always felt that their, their brewery has been a little bit ahead of the market and, they've, and consequently, you know, because they're a privately uh, listed uh, brewery and they need to, um, you know, they've got the pressures that come with that. They can't just have their own strategy. They've got shareholders who are, um, get to have a say. They've never really been able to find a strategy and stick to it, or they've never had a strategy that they've stuck to for whatever reason. So, you know, I really hope that for their sake that this allows them, they're making great beer, that, you know, they're able to find a strategy that gets their beer out and, you know, that they can really get that traction in the marketplace to, to, to see them prosper. Best of British luck to them. Are you going to be buying any shares, Prof? Uh, I'm not really a, a dabbler in, in the share market, but um, of those two, I think I've worked out uh, where I would send my hard-earned if I had to. <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, it's only around about six cents, six cents a share, I think. So, I'll know, giddy up. Yeah, you, you, you could buy yourself a couple of thousand and sort of say, you know, I'm, I'm, yes, I've made a big play in our gauge roads. I've got 10,000 shares. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, let's, yeah, I might, we might try that. Any more news, Matt? Yeah, mate, um, just breaking news. There was a little bit of a... I got a bit of a story sent through to me last week that I've been chewing on. I haven't written anything about it yet. I've still been, um, you know, researching it. But last week, um, there was a very, very soft launch of uh, a a new heritage brand from CUB. Um, We've seen the McCrackens launched in Melbourne... Earlier this year. Earlier this year. Um, yep. Back in March or May. May. Yeah. There's the Tooths. Is it Tooths in Sydney? Uh, yeah. Or was it... Well, they did the, the, Dar- the Tui's Darling Pale Ale. Oh, no, no. So, no, no sorry, later yeah. last year. And then there was the... Or was no, it... No, yeah, that, KB. That was so that, that KB was or Tooth. I remember Scott Vincent um, being up there for it. There was Rushes. Yeah. So uh, Brisbane has come back with uh, Belinda Goldtop. Um, now... Are they- yeah, so listeners may be aware of a little jingle um, that CUB used for VB for, oh, 30 odd years um, the hard earned thirst. A hard earned thirst needs a big cold beer. And the best cold beer is Vic. A long cold Vic. It can come at any time. 
You're taking a bow or feeding a cow. Matter of fact, I got it now. Classic. John Mellion. Classic. But did you hear the stinger in that, Prof? It actually wasn't. The hard-earned thirst is needs a big cold beer. The big cold beer is VB. It was actually for Belinda Goldtop, which... Uh, now, I'm, I'm doing this without notes. In 1965, CUB had bought uh, the Belimba Brewery in the early 60s. Belimba Goldtop was languishing, and uh, the the ad boffins came up with this ad. Um, for they, they, they had seen these brand values for Belimba Goldtop, and they uh, sort of came up with this ad campaign. It, to coin a phrase... Uh, rated its tits off um, and so they decided that well this little brand that we've got in Melbourne called VB has very very similar um, brand genetics um, maybe we can pull it out for that and the, the, the rest as they say is history um, Belimba Goldtop ended up getting uh, getting the ass, and uh, VB went on to be Australia's biggest selling beer with one in every four beers consumed at one stage being a VB um, so, so that's a little bit of history to Belimba, that's not the history that CUB is tapping into with the launch of the beer. They're going right back to the uh, late 1800s, and um, they've they've found a little article that was in, let me see, the 8th of August, 1900, an article in the Brisbane Courier-Mail talking about the Queensland Brewery Limited, which is better known by its name of Belimba, has... Uh, created a beer, um, the Belimba Goldtop, a light bitter ale which closely resembles the English ale and is rapidly replacing the Imperial Ales, at least as far as Brisbane is concerned. Um, and it talked about a selection of English malt, New Zealand, Kent and Bohemian hops um, was, was a reference. So they've gone out and sourced a um, selection of uh, hops from East Kent Goldings, some New Zealand hops and some uh, Bohemian hops to create a light uh, pale ale um, that they're releasing under Belimba Goldtop. I shot out to... Um, now, needless to say, it was released at a very small hipster joint in Belimba, um, which, ironically, Prof, wasn't where the brewery was located. The brewery wasn't actually located in Belimba. It was located on the other side of the river down in Tenerife. Oh, there you uh, go. I thought you were going to say Yatla. No, 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 no. Um, and, but it's brewed in Cascade, so it's not even brewed in Queensland. I believe that the uh, heritage... Ah, is. so is that the beer from down there? It's Well, yeah. It, and it, but it's, it, it's one of those things that the internal conflict, that CUB, the model that they've gone, they've uh, gotten rid of all of their small little production breweries. Um, so they've got Yadala, they've got Abbotsford, and they've got Cascade. Um, they don't have a footprint that allows them to brew little batches... Um, anywhere other than Cascade. So it's Belimba name only. Um, it's been launched in Belimba, uh, yeah, which is actually the other side of the river from where the, the, the brewery was actually made. But, you know, look, you, you can cavil about those sorts of things. Um, you know, even Cooper's is coming out with a, an ad for Cooper's Sparkling Ale saying, you know, we've never changed it, which, you know... Yeah, maybe a little bit. Maybe stretching a little bit. I don't. It's want always to... been called Cooper's Sparkling Ale. It's always been called Cooper's Sparkling changed. Ale. The technology has changed. The malting varieties have changed. The hop varieties, you know, the, the, you know, it's a little bit like saying VB hasn't changed in 150 years. Well, yes, it has. It uses Pride of Ringwood hops that wasn't actually bred until the 1950s. But yeah, I, so, Matt, I remember. I remember one time when they when they 
listened to us and they changed it. <laughs> anyway, so, yeah, so, I mean, look, if you're going to hoist a brewery on those sorts of petards, um, then you, you need to be consistent across the whole industry. And even, a, you know, a brand such as Cooper's, which is probably as close to an unchanged beer as you're going to find, um, you know, you, you, you could rubbish a little bit. But anyway, you know. Caveat Bruter. Yeah, so gold top. Like if, if if you like the feel of drinking a beer that you think has you know a little bit more heritage because you know it was a beer. Mate, my question is, if it was so good, why did they kill it off? Um, and this beer isn't brewed as the beer that was originally. It's not brewed. They have brewed as a homage to the old beer. They're trying to um, tap into that. You know, I love the feeling of you know, brewing a beer. They're, they're, they're being open about it. They're being transparent. Yeah. You know, all, all of that sort of stuff. And, and, good, and well done to them too for trying something that's, that's in between mainstream and, and craft somewhere. And they actually have dug in um, to the history for it. Um, no no yep. doubt, uh, you know, our, our very good friend, uh, Matt O'Keefe, um, who does a lot of the historical research, um, you know, and, and, and looks into the... Checked uh, and double-checked. Yeah, the, the, the IP. They actually have gone through and done that. They haven't just done the old uh, water cooler conversation the way that they did with uh, Crown Lager for a while there. Um, the, the, look, the beer itself is very drinkable. It is a light. It is not going to take you anywhere that you've never been before. Um, but, you know, they're, they're, they're giving a crack. And ultimately, these are the things that the market decides whether or not um, they've done it well or not. Um, it's, you know... Um, but yeah, exactly. They, they've had a crack. So anyway, um, right. go, if you're in Brisbane, go check out Belinda Goldtop um, and enjoy the uh, the ad on the website. Um, Prof, now we, we have been threatening or promising, depending on which way you look at it, to get uh, Stu Whitecross from Voyager Malt on the, the last couple of episodes. Um, yeah. <laughs> Stu, who is, I... Stu, who is a frequent <laughs> listener to the show, um, actually said, well, guys, you've been talking about it for so long. How about you give me a call? Mind if I invite myself on <laughs> yeah. as a guest? I'm not, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna pay your Patreon uh, ga- you know, game, but uh, I'll invite myself on. So, but it, it, it did come but then on he did as well as yeah. a patron, um, and we'll talk a little bit about more that of that later. Podcast. But anyway, um, without any further ado, here is, as promised, um, Stu Whitecross from Voyager Malt. Yeah, right. So um, I was born, uh, born and raised in. Uh, um, in a small little little town of Brewen, um situated in the uh, in the Riverina, uh, uh, one of the largest uh, cereal grain growing regions in Australia. Um, and I grew up there on on a family farm. We've been growing a lot of cereal grains um, there for for about three generations. And, and before that, um, we're growing all my family were growing uh, growing cereal grains down in, in Victoria. Uh, and uh, I grew up there alongside um, one of our, our neighbours and um, good mate uh, Brad Warner, who's uh, in the Voyager business with me with me now. And um, yeah, we grew up there with dreams, I guess, of, of getting onto our parents' farm and, and running that. Um, and and yeah, unfortunately, um, 16 years ago, the the outlook of farming kind of wasn't really that that positive, and we. And hit with a few kind of poor seasons and low commodity prices, and um, myself and Brad, like a lot of our, our mates, were, were pushed off the farm um, by our parents to to go and look at doing something else. So we, uh, yeah, both went across to to university in uh, in Wagga. Um, Brad was doing finance, accounting, and I was doing uh, engineering and, and uh, teaching. Um, and in my first year over there, I met met a girl who ended up 
um, being my wife, and she was studying wine, wine making there at the time, and her parents had a winery back in Griffith, um, which was only you know uh, half hours drive up the road from from our farm. And uh, yeah, I guess in an attempt to try and impress her and uh, and her, <laughs> her family, I I decided to um, start learning a little bit more about about wine. Um, I was certainly drinking a lot of wine uh, at, at uni, but it was it was more in the uh, um, more goon sunrises than uh, than anything kind of uh, too special. So um, yeah, in an attempt to try and impress her and her family, I thought I'd better start learning a little bit about wine. And um, yeah, she certainly helped me to uh, get a bit of appreciation and then start, um, you know, I guess building, building my palate. And uh, what I was kind of learning there, I was um, putting across into, in, into, into beers. Certainly wasn't something I was, I was doing down at the local commercial uh, hotel in Brillen on a, on a Friday night with the, the footy boys. But uh, in the comfort of my own lounge room, I was, um, you know, tasting, tasting beers and selling them. And uh, um, once I come across Little Creatures Pale Ale, I was, Really, uh, just just blown away, basically, and like a lot of other um, other guys, it really just wasn't a pissy beer for for me. And um, back, you know, and after I tasted, one of the very first things I thought about was, you know, I, I need to know how to how to make make beer like this. Um, I wasn't really making beer at the time, but uh, I think in the in the bush we're uh, we kind of um, have this culture of do it yourself. We kind of um, don't have a lot of services and a lot of facilities and um, you know that kind of mentality we kind of apply to a lot of things I mean at the time I was um, making our own sourdough bread we don't have a, have a bakery um, in our town or um, so things like, like bread and cheese um, salami we do our own salami as well and our own meat on the farm and um, you know beer was just another thing that I kind of after I had Little Creatures Pale I was like I've, I've got to learn how to make beer like this and uh, yeah, that started a, a, a you know, an obsession, basically. In the last ten years, has really then um, led myself and, and Brad to starting Voyager uh, Craft Malt. And Brad's been a you know a good mate the whole way through it, and uh, we've got a fairly um, you know friendly, competitive um, um, friendship. So uh, once I was making beer, he kind of you know jumped on board and thought he could make better beer than me, and uh, um, yeah, we kind of just been pushing it to the limit ever since, basically. And uh, um, yeah, we've uh, last ten years probably been a bit of a blur. Actually, it's been nothing but but brewing and beer-related travel and a few trips to Europe and the States. And um, yeah, it's uh, it has been a bit of a bit of a whirlwind in the last last few years. That's for sure. Well, can I ask how old you are? It sounds like you've uh, crammed a fair bit in um, for blokes. It still sounds fairly young. 30, 33. Okay, yeah. so yeah, so so you're in, in your early thirties. Um, talk to us yeah. a little bit about how you know you, you've discovered um, little creatures, but you've also been punted off the farm by your parents. Obviously, they weren't sure what the future for the farm was. Did, did I understand that correctly? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I was I was given fifty acres for my twelfth birthday, um, and um, whilst the, you know, for the listeners might kind of. Uh, thinking how fantastic that is. Back at the time, you probably could have argued quite, uh, quite heavily that that was probably a form of child abuse. I think, <laughs> um, with the, uh, you know, with the with the drought and a few other other things that were happening. But 
um, I guess it was a way of, of my parents not having to pay me a wage when there was a poor season or, or a drought and not having you know, them to kind of fork out wages when they, when they didn't have the money to do so. But more so for me, it was just such a great um, learning um, and process and education of, of, of farming. I remember the, actually the very first year I got it, had a, it was a great season. Commodity prices were high and I had some wheat in there. And I think I, I grossed that um, nearly 10 grand off, off it. Um, which was just it was a, you know, a, a absolutely remarkable season, and uh, I was twelve, 12 with a lot of money. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I had, looking back now, I had absolutely no idea what I spent it on, but I blew it all on, you know, toys and lollies and, and, and whatever, <laughs> whatever else. And the next three years, I didn't pull anything off it at all. So it was certainly a, a reality into the, uh, you know, the highs and lows of uh, of farming. Um, and 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 it's been a great little experimental kind of. Uh, um, project for me as well. So I'm constantly, uh, I still w- work, um, work on the farm, um, and, and still, uh, um, you know, still, uh, grow grain and, and, uh, and, and it's probably barley now, but a lot of cereal grains in that, that paddock. And, um, it certainly allowed me to, um, experiment and grow styles that, uh, or, or varieties that I want to brew with myself. Um, and, uh, um, and yeah, and things have kind of turned around a little bit in the last few years. Um, I think we're starting to, um, we've got still a long way to go, but I think we're starting to build a bit of appreciation of, of farmers and, and the risks and sacrifices that they make. And um, I think we're starting to um, recognise that and look after them a little, a little better. Um, and yeah, it's, it's certainly, a, a lot of the mates that were booted off the farm by their parents have now gone back there and we've got some some of our really good mates that we're uh, we're buying grain from now that that myself and Brad grew up with and and uh, and went to uni with as well. So um, you know, times are, are are changing, I think, and uh, I, I see what we're doing at Voyager is really pivotal in, in being able to kind of um, educate consumers about what happens out here in the bush and and farming practice and particularly that of of small um, farming or small family owned owned and run run farms rather than the you know, the big industrialised cropping um, kind of entities that, that seem to be coming in and buying a bit of the land. So talk to us about that. You, you've, you've gotten into um, craft beer, but at the same time you're not actively working on the family property, but you've got this little uh, parcel. What was the thought process that got you thinking, well, I've got this background in grain, maybe there's something that I can do in that side of the, the, the brewing industry? Yeah, it was... Uh, it kind of wasn't as, as, as evident as, as... you know. I mean, I was... Back when I was brewing, um, you know, home brewing in my shed here, I'd, uh, I was doing it, you know, brewing basically every day of the week. I'd, I'd fully designed a, an automated system, which meant I could run the, the little brewery from my phone when I was out on the farm or, or um, you know, teaching in the school. Um, and I had a, you know, I had that 40, I think I had a 40 corny kegs and, and a massive cool room and 10 taps in there. And it was, I was doing a lot of, a lot of brewing. Um, and I was sourcing ingredients from all around the place, and never once did I really think, um, you know, at the same time we were harvesting barley and we we're planting barley and and growing really good quality malt barley. I never really kind of once thought, oh, well, I'll take some of that and 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 malt with it and then brew a beer. I've had a lot of people ask questions and say, oh, look at this, your own barley from your farm, and it was kind of always, oh no, it's got to be malted or something like that, and that was kind of really it. I guess I was just so obsessed on on making beer. Um, and, and the farming side of things had always just been a bit of a faceless commodity. We'd grown it, we'd 
sell it and that was kind of you know we had no idea where it went after that so we really lost that connection so it was kind of uh, looking back now quite kind of strange so I never really drew that that connection um, and it was really a trip to Germany I was sitting in a small little brewery over there and, and they were talking about you know this is where our barley comes from and um, and and we're looking out the window at, at a crop a barley crop there and kind of thought you know I just had this light bulb moment and you know I started right from there I started getting more interested in the malting process and the more I kind of explored that the more I kind of thought about you know this is something that, that I think we could probably do um, one of the steps in getting there, and it's a bit of a feasibility study that we ran was myself and Brad got the uh, Burrell and Beer project up and up and running. I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with with that at all. Uh, it's not ringing yes. any bells. Oh, you, you're, you're aware of it. So, what the Burrell? I, I missed the name of it. The Brew on Beer. Burrell and Beer. Yeah. So Burrell's not um, small little town. Myself and Brad both grew up in went to school. Uh, about 300 people um, live there, and and the, the main industry in the in the region is is barley growing um, and not many people kind of really realize that they drive through all the the barley fields they see all the silos they see all the trucks at harvest time and the headers and um and, and they do think well you know lots of barley's growing here but they never really make that connection in terms of all where they go so we uh we kind of thought that um we we as part of trying to um generate a bit of publicity for the town um we'd uh we'd look at um, starting a a, 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 um, a craft beer project, um, we crowdsourced it. Um, we set up a, a non-for-profit community organisation, and we tried to raise fifteen thousand dollars. And we we basically said to the community, look, you guys um, put some money in. We'll uh, we'll take some local barley. We'll get it malted. Um, we'll get it brewed to a style that you guys all vote on. And uh, and yeah, we'll we'll put put a community beer on tap and all the profits go back to the town and um, and you, know, you guys support it and and help us advertise it and, and tell your mates and, and do all that kind of stuff. So we ran a 60-day crowdfunding campaign trying to raise 15 grand and we raised over $40,000. We had um, farmers, so it's all the rewards we had were a $600 um, pledge. You could uh, um, go along to the brewing of it, um, you get your name on the label, um, we had tasting nights where people would come and vote on the on the uh, the recipe that they wanted, um, and uh, yeah, so we took some some schooner barley that that we had on our place that my father donated to the uh, to the project. Uh, we took it down to Melbourne and got it malted, and uh, I guess that was kind of the first stage in um, in us exploring the, the malting option was um, you know what what kind of product we were going to get back. Um, how was it going to be perceived by by brewers? Because then once we had this um, had the barley malted, we gave it to some some brewers and said, look, um, try this malt out, give us some feedback. But we also want you to kind of create a beer that showcases this malt. Um, and at our recipe tasting night, if, if if it gets voted on by the people of our town, then uh, then we want you guys to to brew it for us. And uh, um, yeah, the, the feedback we had the whole way through the process, so the feedback from the maltster talking about this some of the best barley. I've ever seen, and I want to buy it myself. Um, the brewers that we're giving it to were saying that we need more of this stuff. Not only is it is it performing really well for us, but it's got a great story we can tell because we can we can tell our consumers um, 
the, the exact package it come from, who the farmer was, um, all those kind of kind of things. So, which brewers was this? Um, the craft issue for us, was, was this craft brewers, or yeah, was this yeah. the, the the large brewers who were who were saying this? No, no, no these are these are craft brewers. So, I guess um, being obsessed with craft beer um, for for the last ten years, when I was doing a lot of brewing, I'd, I was one of those pests that basically went to any new brewery and and hung around the brewer trying to you know um, get some. Um, some insight knowledge on yeast or uh, or or brain or, or whatever it was. So I'd, I'd um, built up a you know, fairly um, quite a few relationships with, with some brewers um, and kind of explored or raised the idea with them about you know, getting some of our own grain malted and having them use it. So you know we had uh, Craig over at the Thirsty Crow in Wagga, um, one of our local local breweries. Um, we also had Matt Hogan uh, up at Hope Estate. You guys had on there recently. Yep. Um, um, who about Richard Watkins over at Ben Spoke? Uh, had some of that, some of that, that first batch of, of malt as well. Um, and then we also had a few other other home brewers and and whatever else that that helped out in terms of making up some of the recipes for that project. But um, I guess the Brill and Beer project was was really getting some interest and and was going quite well. But uh, the in the background of that, were myself and Brad kind of doing the numbers and and really evaluating whether a an on-farm malt house was uh, was was feasible. Because at this stage, the contract option getting stuff freighted all the way down to Melbourne and then back again was really taking any margin um, out of it for us. And it also didn't really give us the flexibility and control in terms of being able to follow um, the, the the barley all the way through and make some changes during the, the actual malting of it. So it was kind of the, the first. Uh, the first stage in, in opening up the, the malt house. But the Brown Beer Project, yeah, it's still, still going today. We are regularly um, getting batches done. Um, and, uh, yeah, the profits go back into town and still uses Brown Barley. And we, we showcase a, a different grower um, from, the, from the region every every year from Brown. And there's a bit of friendly uh, banter that happens in at the, the pub <laughs> and the club at Brown in terms of farmers saying that it doesn't taste as good as it did when their, their barley was in it and, and whatever else. But it's been a it's been a, a great project. And look, it, it is really small scale. And there's not a lot of money to be made in it, but the real value is is in to the tourism that, that we're getting to our town and and the value in people that are, are now realising and making that connection between you know guys out in the bush growing barley and going into to craft beer. So we've we're in contact on Facebook through Brill and Beer of people that are Travelling down from Sydney or up from Melbourne just to, to taste the beer because it's only available on tap in Brillon. It's one of the, the uh, um, things right from the start that we, we wanted to focus on was that you know, we'd only have the beer on tap at Brillon because a lot of the travel that I'd done to um, particular places in Germany, I'd gone to these um, small little towns primarily to taste the beer that you could only get in the town as well. So we kind of wanted to create something like that over, uh, over here in my hometown. Mate, before we, we, uh, sorry, 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 Prof, you, you jump in. No, no, have you got one to follow on? Because I've got a... Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah no, Go on. Just before you uh, went into um, talking about malting and those sorts of things, I just wanted to take a step back and look at the Australian barley industry. And, you know, we, we are increasingly starting to hear craft brewers talk about the industry isn't geared to create a product that is based on their needs. Um but we've also had years of being told from the Australia's biggest brewers that you know uh, they use the finest uh, ingredients, they use the finest barley in the world, um, and w- w- which is often grown by uh, growers in Australia. 
What are the commercial pressures on barley growers in terms of what the agronomics of what they're producing are, and what is the expectation for the um, grains that they're meant to be producing to meet to, to, to get the, the highest products, um, to, to get the highest price for their grain? Is it uh, grain that is well suited to craft brewing, or is it or is it better suited to another type of brewing? Yeah, no, it's certainly suited to another another type of brewing. Um, we've done a, a lot of travel um, to you know to, to Europe. To, to the states, um, and I wouldn't swap the, the the quality of of barley and the environment for growing barley that we have here in Australia with any of the places that we've we've seen overseas. We we particularly the barley that comes from around our region, and and, and predominantly most of the barley growing here isn't done on on irrigation, um, so it, it's it's done purely from from rainfall. Um, the we've also have a really rich history of uh, of, of barley breeding here. In Australia as well, um, the reality is, and this was outlined um, in the, one of the talks that you guys had there recently down at down at Gabs, the growers and uh, and brewers brewers talk. But the, the barley varieties have been bred for um, the export market, so their their barley varieties are um, high in extracts, high in DP for, for adjunct brewing. Um, one of the challenges that that we have. Um, for craft beer is that it does take a long time to, to breed barley varieties. So to breed varieties that are suitable for, for craft beer, uh, we're not going to see for, you know, even if we started today, we're probably not going to see any results for, for probably seven to, to ten years. We, um, we, we might just break that down a little bit uh, for, for maybe some of the listeners who aren't into the technical side of home brewing. Just talk a little bit about the DP and, and, and what the elements that, that make the barley different for different types of uh, you know, malting and different types of uh, you know, brewing uses. Yeah. So, um, and, and again, Brad, the uh, our malts probably probably uh, um, you know, give you give you more of a rundown on this. But DP um, is diastatic power. Um, it's what do the, the converting in the uh, um, in, in the mash. So, for a lot of high adjunct brewing um, um, over in, in Asia, where they're adding in rice and everything else, they want high DP to help convert. Um, some of the other products that don't have uh, the, the enzymes in them uh, in, in the mash. So um, that's that's you know, one of the one of the main um, main things with, uh, with with the barley that, that we're breeding here at the moment, or that's been bred because uh, it's been been bred for an export market. Um, I guess so. I guess uh, with these varieties that have been been bred for for export, and it is a a, um, a numbers a numbers game. I mean, the craft beer, in terms of um, um, quantity of, of, of barley grown, uh, I think numbers were or recent numbers around the 30,000 30, ton of, of barley. Um, and we've got some growers out Brown that would would grow that that amount um, just just on their own farm. Uh, we we export. I think it's, it's around the four million tons. So in terms of um, trying to to get um, barley bread, especially for craft beer, I think we've we've got a long way to go. Um, but in saying that, what we've been finding, and I see small craft maltsters like ourselves, really pivotal in being able to um, enhance the flavour and aroma characteristics from this barley by changing the malting process. Um, 
which we're we're doing a lot of experimenting around with at the moment. Um, we've invested heavily in a in a lab, and probably for us the 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 best piece of lab equipment we've got is our tasting bar. We've got ten taps there, and we <laughs> we really try to make a beer with every uh, with every malt that we make, which has been a bit of a challenge <laughs> challenge of, of late while we're uh, currently expanding um, as well and trying to brew and trying to malt, trying to farm as well, but. Um, we we can do all the numbers in the lab and and you know that's great to, to know that we're we're you know getting good good efficiency and diastatic power and, and those kind of things. But for us, what we're really trying to, to focus on is flavour and and uh, uh, and aroma. And we're 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 starting to, to see that um, not only the malting um, uh, process and how we're tweaking our uh, our automation and control on that side of things. But more so, we're starting to see little subtleties of differences in different varieties, different farming practice, um, and how that's kind of influencing um, how the malt, uh, or how the barley grows in the paddock, but also how the, the malt performs and how we process that malt. But ultimately, we're starting to see some subtleties in the, uh, in the finished product as well, which is kind of really exciting for us. Um, and, uh, and it's prompted us to kind of look at some, some other varieties that, have been kind of disregarded by the by the big guys that are saying that we don't want growers to grow um, schooner or we don't want them to grow um, you know bloke or, or whatever else um, anymore. We're why, trying to kind of go yeah. back and get, get and, some of these varieties. And, and why is that? Why uh, you know what is it about those varieties that the that the big brewers aren't interested in? Um, look, I, I, I think one of the things is because we. Um, just because it's just a sheer numbers thing, because of the amount of product that the big guys malt, um, they they need to kind of um, get a stack average. So they need to get um, um, grain that is is um, grown you know, from everywhere, basically. So that if there is a poor year in Victoria or a poor year in WA, they're not going to leave customers short. So our barley, once it's harvested um, at the moment, most of it's going into into Voyager. Previous to that. Once it was harvested, it'd go into the, the town silos, um, and that holds, I think, it holds a couple of hundred thousand in there uh, a ton. So it then gets mixed up with all the other growers' um, barley as well, if it makes the, the malt grow. Um, and then from there, it gets trained. So all these little tiny community silos, it all then gets thrown on and mixed in on a train, gets taken down to the uh, down the malt house. So they're using a, um, you know. Uh, a wide variety of of growing regions, and that helps them kind of level out and and get this this stack average in the um, in, in their malts. Um, one of the things they want to try and do is, is keep the, the varieties very similar, so they're not having to blend or or, or having to um, process in a, at a uh, um, at one of the town silos, having to have bunkers for eight different varieties. So they're really trying to streamline the amount of varieties that are um, that are grown. So, so it's Which, fairly homogenised is essentially what I'm hearing, that they just want a very homogenised product. Yeah, and, and look, the, the farmers are also, um, you know, they're also fairly involved in, the, um, in the, the, the barley breeding process as well. So the, the, the varieties that are being bred aren't just in terms of processability and, and extract potential and DP. They're also looking at varieties that are less disease susceptible, um, high yield as well. Um, but one of a couple of the, of the issues that, that we're finding, particularly on our own farm, is that 
varieties such as schooner, which they're saying you know um, it, it's more disease susceptible and um, and lower yield and, and whatever else. Um, that's taken on an average from a wide range of growing regions. So we schooners performed really really well for us for the last you know, 20 years, um, and we've had it alongside some of the newer varieties. And in our growing region, in our soil type, in our condition, it, it you know, outperforms any of the newer varieties that are out there. So I think that whilst um, as a, um, a, a an average, um, and I can understand why they're doing this, I think there's certainly some uh, um, some scope for smaller um, pockets and, and varieties that are well suited to, um, to growing regions. And uh, there's certainly some scope there for, for craft brewers to, um, to work with long term. As I said, it's it's certainly a long process to um, to breed up varieties, but schooner's been a, a really important one for us from Voyage, and we've been getting some great feedback from from brewers. We're certainly seeing some differences um, in the in the malt house, and also in some of the beers we're making with schooner, um, and it's something that performs really well in our in our area. We know that it doesn't perform really well in, in other other regions, other areas, and that's why farmers are going away from it, and um, and why the big guys. Are saying, look, don't grow it because we're not going to buy it. it, it it's um, interesting, us, though. It's... So it, 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 it's interesting, though, that on one hand, they want a homogenized product um, and, and they want something that wherever they buy it from, there is consistency so they don't uh, need to blend it, they don't need to sort of change their brew house practices to accommodate any variations. But then every now and then we see them when they want to celebrate an ingredient for a marketing angle. You know, for a, a couple of years ago, we saw Crown Lager make a big thing out of, you know, they bought their malt from a grower. Um, and, and that doesn't seem to matter as much when that grower is producing the same uh, variety that has that... Um, genericness or that sort of uh, stackability that you were talking about as something you know, as, as grain that you're growing and the grain that's growing elsewhere. Celebrating the fact that it comes from one particular region seems to matter a whole lot less when they have also self-selected that um, variety to make it indistinguishable wherever it comes from. Yeah, yeah, and and the, uh, yeah, you're right. It's um, and I guess I've got to be got to be careful as well because we, we've we've we've. That's not a criticism. Of it, but it's just one of those internal inconsistencies in the messaging that they're putting out. On one hand, they're celebrating a region, but on the next hand, but on the other hand, everything that they're doing is trying to make all regions' product essentially the same. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and again, that's that's also got to do with the, the, just the climate in Australia and, and relying on on rainfall to to, to grow our barley. You know, again, you know, the poor poor. Um, season last year in Victoria, we had a great season here in New South Wales, and and it allowed them to be able to, to still supply um, grain to their, their markets. One of the we've been doing a bit of work with the, um, uh, the University of Adelaide. They had a barley breeding program, which unfortunately is only only just closed up. But we're still being doing a bit of work with them in terms of getting some of the data um, from some of the older varieties that have been grown at trial sites here, and looking at that data and trying to. To, to find some varieties of barley that we think would be uh, well suited to craft brewing. Um, one of the issues that we're finding is that flavour and, and aroma hasn't really been a uh, something that they've looked for, apart from looking for faults in, in barley that have been bred. So um, they're looking for, for something that was kind of um, very similar to what was previously there and, and, and nothing that, that's really different to that so that they can... Um, so, so it doesn't change any of the, any of the beers, I guess. Um, 
and that's certainly something that we we'd like to start looking at with uh, with barley breeders and 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 trying to identify some varieties that did have some some unique kind of flavour uh, and aroma characteristics. But at this stage, for us, the the biggest um, uh, role we can play in doing that is, is using the varieties that currently exist um, and, and trying to change our, our process in the malt house to really drive some some unique flavour and aroma characteristics from them. Um, and we're also looking at, uh, you know, aside from barley, looking at a lot of other varieties, uh, grain varieties that uh, um, that currently aren't being malted or or aren't, uh, aren't accessible here in Australia, things like um, triticale, um, spelt, buckwheat, um, and we've got the, the advantages of being set up right on the edge of the Murrumbidgee irrigation area. So um, we've got some growers here that do grow barley on, on irrigation. So that if we do have a have a poor poor year, we can we can lean on them to um, to help us out. But uh, it also means we've got access to a lot of gluten free uh, kind of stuff, such as spelt and millet um, and, uh, and 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 corn, rice. We've also got planned to um, to go in sometime soon. So for us. The, you know, myself and Brad both had really secure, well-paying jobs, and we had families at you know, at home, and everything was kind of going really well. But we just kind of thought that you know we didn't want to look back in 20 years' time and thought you know just we should have had a had a crack at doing this. So for us, it's not really about um, making money, which is a kind of hard thing to do on a small scale when you're, you're malting, but it's more so about trying to really um, create some new, innovative products and work closely with brewers in, in trying to take these malts through into a um, into a finished finished beer and uh, so that's essentially what what led myself and Brad to, to where we are today with our, our passion for craft beer and, and brewing. So it's probably one of the exciting things for us about what we're doing at the moment. Stu, you touched briefly on the um, the malting process and I guess a lot of our listeners to Radio Brews News uh, are used to hearing us uh, talk with brewers about, you know, how they came across their equipment or where it came from or, you know, uh, distribution issues and logistics and all that sort of thing and buying off the shelf. Um, so I'm, I'm keen to, to understand when you and Brad decided, well, you know, we're, let's get into this uh, malting of barley caper. Do you, in the tradition of, you know, the small town doing it yourself, did you, uh, you know, like MacGyver the shit out of some other equipment lying around the joint or do you go and, and buy malting equipment off the shelf? Um, yeah, that's, that's a great question. And yeah, we did um, MacGyver the shit out of it. Basically, we wanted to start, start using that in some of our, uh, our marketing material, I think. We, uh, um, that's basically what, what we did. We, we certainly, um, we spent really a, a good solid two years um, researching it. One of the first things we did was um, join up to the Craft Maltzers Guild uh, in the States. And at the time, there was, I think there was just a handful of, of brewers, um, oh, sorry, uh, Maltzers, um, there and we got to know a few of those that were kind of at similar stage to us. Some were a few years further down the track, and we were able to work really closely with them in terms of how they designed and built some of their equipment. Um, now there's, I think they're up over well over 120 craft malters in the state, so it's something that's really starting to um, to kick off over over there. And we're still still a member of that guild, and we're able to share some of our um, our designs and knowledge back with them. But we um, we, we did a lot of travel. Uh, we looked at a lot of equipment. Unfortunately, all of it that we looked at was basically designed for big industrialised malt houses. And there's a there's an economy of scale as well with uh, um, with malt, and that's why you don't really see any malt houses you know, smaller than a, than ten twenty thousand uh, ton ton per year. Um, so there's an economy of scale there in terms of uh, um, 
the, the huge energy requirements required to um, to, to malt um, the kiln, the water that's used, and and, and everything else. So. There was a couple of times when we were looking at the, at the cost of, of the equipment and and just how um, how big it was and kind of thought you know either we can't do this on a small scale um, or if we're going to do this we've 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 got to bite the bullet and go big and, and put in a twenty thousand ton malt house which then kind of got us away from the whole single origin the ability to be really um, flexible and innovative with a lot of different product lines and work closely with brewers to run through you know, a, a single ton batch for a, for a malt, uh, for a beer that they're, they're doing. Um, and I had a background in engineering as well. So spent a, a lot of time kind of designing things up and, and, and looking at, at systems that might work. Um, if we wanted to purely just um, floor malt, we, we could have done it. Uh, but myself and Brad growing up on uh, on cereal grain growing farms has done enough shoveling of, uh, of grain to know that the romance <laughs> is soon going to wear off fairly uh, fairly early very there. quickly. Yep. Uh, and and we also weren't going to get the the uh, the consistency and the repeatability that we needed. Um, we didn't didn't feel we feel confident in being able to get that in, in small malting. So we uh, yeah look we we spent a lot of lot of money in research and development, built a couple of prototypes. Um, finally got something that we were happy with. Um, and then the issue that we had was really around um, kind of expanding and also um, remaining small that uh, small enough that we could still single origin, uh, use single origin greens and not have to blend um, varieties like the, like the big guys. Um, but, uh, and, and also try and do that economically in terms of efficiency from a, from a heat source during kilning. Um, and we kind of ummed and ahed for a while about you know, whether we do it, whether we wouldn't. And then one day we kind of discovered a, uh, a biochar facility um, in the Riverina. It's such a diverse agricultural region, um, and they're you know, mostly wine grapes, cereal grains, rice, cotton, um, stone fruits, um, a lot of nuts. And one of the things that there's a lot of is agricultural waste uh, or, or biomass products. So um, rice hulls, which a lot of brewers would know about, uh, is, a, is a, a big waste product. Um, also got things such as walnut shells, the, the stalks from, from cotton, um, the, the seeds and, and grape mark from, um, from wineries. And the biochar facility, what it does is it, it converts it into charcoal, um, and that charcoal is then used as a um, highly rich organic fertiliser. So we we discovered this biochar facility just up the road from from where we from where our farm was, a little place called Witten, and um, we were obviously interested in using some of the, the fertilizer on our on our crops. But the thing that really interested was uh, harnessing the the heat source that, that um, was created during um, the, the biochar production, and it's extremely clean process. There's no smoke emitted um, or no emissions throughout the process at all. And we then had to work really hard on, on designing some equipment that would enable us to, um, to fully harness this, this heat source. So that was, we've been doing that for the last six months now. We've been killing all our malts on a fully sustainable heat source that's getting rid of a waste product um, from farms, creating fertiliser for our crops and creating all the heat that kills our, our malts, which has then enabled us to, uh, to malt in really small batches. Um, 
uh, and and offer it uh, directly to to brewers for for a price that's um, fairly uh, fairly um, you know, pretty much on par with with what they're paying um, for their malts already. So it was kind of a a really unique opportunity that that we took and uh, and you know, kind of never really looked back. So yeah, a lot of uh, a lot of design, a lot of engineering in, in not only the malting side of things, but also in making it talk and and link up with the, the biochar facility. Um, been really lucky that there's been a stainless steel manufacturing place um, uh, in this kind of agricultural hub where where we're set up, where the biochar is. There's a fish farm there as well. There's wine tank storage. There's um, hardwood timber for, forest uh, forestry or forestation. There's um, another fertilizer place. It, it's a really um, great little little hub, um, and and for us being able to utilise the stainless steel manufacturing place that's on site there to to build um, some of our, our equipment. We we did all our own prototypes and and, uh, and and design work, and then once we're happy with it, we kind of gave it to them and said got them to pull the trigger on uh, on our bigger systems. Um, and the other advantage is that we're able to utilise a lot of the the steep water that we use throughout the, the malting process. Um, that goes straight back onto the the crops to, to irrigate them at the moment as well. So it's it's been really uh, you know, great for us to take um, some of our sustainable agricultural practices that myself and Brad on our family farms grew up with. Um, and the, the land was our it's our backyard, and um, we've kind of grown up um, with the with this culture of of respecting it and looking after it to pass it on to our our, gen, our, our future generations. And then to take that kind of same mentality into a, an industry that is heavily energy um, um, intensive, and be able to to kind of you know, do what we're doing um, really sustainably, and uh, and it, it right down to our malt bags as well that we've we've worked with designers, product designers to to design a a bag, a malt bag that's um, fully recyclable, biodegradable, and Still holds or still keeps moisture um, out of the out of the finished product as well is uh, you know something that we're really really proud of. And sure, you touched briefly there on growing some grain that will possibly be useful for uh, gluten-free um, beer. Uh, we, we spoke to Ben Weymouth uh, a little while ago, and I remember speaking to him when uh, he was at O'Brien's and saying that um, yeah they had to basically kiln all of their own, um, you know, uh, sorghum and millet they, because there, there just wasn't any uh, local stuff available. Are you kind of, I guess, filling a, a niche there and, and getting a few um, celiacs uh, a little bit excited? We, yeah, look, we, we, we've certainly got plans to. Um, we, we would have thought that we're up, would have been up and doing it by now. Unfortunately, um, the demand for, for just the baseline product that we've been able to, to offer has kind of... Um, led us to, to focus primarily just on that. We've certainly designed all our systems um, around being able to, to utilise um, gluten-free um, grains, particularly the nature of a lot of them, particularly looking at millet and sorghum in terms of how small the grain is, but also um, designing our systems so that we can completely um, clean them out um, so there's no cross-contamination there as well. Um, and I was just about to say, is that, of equipment. Yeah. Yeah. Is, that, is that the main reason yeah, so, that... that there's been a reluctance to, or, or an, innov- an inability to, to get that sort of grain from from uh, you know the regular sources up until, up till now. I, yeah, I think it's probably also again just just a, a sheer numbers 
game as well. I, I, I just wouldn't think there'd be the demand. For, for the, the, the big guys, their minimum batch sizes are, are more than we do an entire year as well. So I, I, yeah. I really would, I'd find it hard to believe that there'd, there'd be a gluten-free brewery that would be using the amount that would that the big guys would even even consider um, putting in in a minimum batch size. One of the things that we um, that we're working on right now, we, so we do have a, a gluten-free product in at the moment. Um, it's actually the Kabari, the, the CSIRO. We've been working yep. um, with them, so they developed that. Um, it's it's really taken off in Germany. Actually, I've got to be careful. It's not gluten-free in Australia. In Germany, it, it, it's gluten-free. In Australia, it can't be called gluten-free because it's bar. There's something with the terminology or, or the description yeah. of what, what is gluten-free and what's not. So, yep. but at the moment, we've got that barley um, in being malted right now. Um, for them, um, it's certainly um, it's looking really good. One little trial batches that we did of it, and it's come up come up really nice. And that's um, certainly something that we'd uh, we'd be happy to um, um, you know, further down the track get to some some craft breweries um, you know, in in collaboration with the CSIRO, of course, and uh, and and see how how that goes. We I guess we've kind of been a little bit blown away by the uh, the amount of inquiries that we're getting for gluten free. Products. We knew that there was um, you know, a, a bit of a, a market out there, but I kind of had no idea um, you know, just how big it was. We've certainly been in talks with a couple of breweries and even a couple of distilleries that um, are looking at starting up that are primarily just going to be gluten-free businesses and, and want to just make sure that they're going to have access to a to a malt supplier before they uh, yeah before they kind of pull the trigger on, on that. So we've been working pretty closely with. Um, with quite a few breweries and, and distilleries in, in, in the gluten-free space, and uh, certainly something we're keen to keen to get into. Um, we've just commissioned another um, big system, a 10-ton unit, um, on Monday. So uh, it'll then free up uh, one of our smaller systems then to, to to look at just doing gluten-free grains that we mentioned before: the buckwheat, the sorghum millet, and uh, and hopefully some kabari. Nice. Mate, talk just a little bit about the cost um, of the, the, the grains you're producing. Um, you know, craft beer is almost by its nature a little bit more expensive. Is craft malt significantly more expensive than the stuff that they'd be getting from the, the, the mainstream suppliers? Um, look, we're um, and, and our, our prices are, are on our website. We um, our, our base malts are thirty-five dollars a bag, which is around the fourteen hundred dollars a ton. Um, we um, we we deal direct um, with with brewers, which helps us to uh, to get those prices um, down. To that the big thing for us is the heat source as well, which has enabled us to get prices down that low. Um, we we pay the the farmers get paid ridiculously well as well. Um, you know sometimes that is us, but, but growers. So we do look after ourselves um, from a farming point of view. But we've certainly got a lot of other growers as well that we're we're contracting them. Um, and getting them to, to plant what we want, and uh, and we're paying them pretty well to do that as well. Um, but no, look, I think for the the the, the product that we're, we're able to offer brewers, um, the story that that comes with it as well in terms of um, you now on the COA they'll get a a QR code that tells them the exact location in the paddock that the the grain come from, um, and the the quality of it as well, well in terms of extract and and uh, and diastatic power, and um, aside from the the flavour and, and aroma, but everything that the the brewers um, are expecting in in then every you know the, the normal malts they're using, they can expect that and a little bit more in uh, in our products 
and we, that kind of surprised us a little bit at the start, particularly when we started playing around our own back shed, malting some of the, the grains we were growing. We were kind of getting numbers that were on par, if not better, than, uh, than some of the, the other malts that were, were available. Um, and it didn't take us long to realise that one of the reasons for that is when the, the malting process is basically um, taking a grain, germinating it, and then stopping that germination once um, starches have been modified in there. Um, when, and, and you want to try and make sure that they all germinate at the same time and they all stop at the same time. Um, that becomes harder when you're then starting to mix barley grown on someone's paddock with barley grown on someone else's paddock uh, that might have been harvested or sown at a different time, um, that might be you know, slightly different grain size, um, that might have been um, harvested a little more um, viciously and it's had bits of the husk knocked off, which means it takes water up quicker, which means it wants to germinate faster than some of the other grains. So um, by being able to take a, a single origin ingredient that um, for the most part is absolutely identical grain to grain, um, has then made things a hell of a lot easier for us in the malt house in terms of hitting all our numbers. So for us, um, it's really about, um, you know, we can't make great malt without you know, awesome quality barley. And for us, one of the things that's made it really made the process so much easier for us is that we've got really awesome barley that we're able to, um, yeah, to really pick the cream um, of the crop from uh, from around the around the region and and uh, yeah, make sure that we get that uniformity throughout the germination process. So, um, look, I I think that our prices are. Um, uh, uh, Pretty good. The biggest issue we've got at the moment is is keeping up with the with the demand. So, um, yeah, look, I, I think that there's certainly some some scope there for uh, for some other craft mosses to, to to get on board. We certainly uh, aren't going to be in a position to to supply the entire market. We don't intend to, because as I said, once we get um, there's a level that we'll get to where we then have to start blending varieties or blending um, different farmers um, barley from different regions or different paddocks, and then we then start to lose um, the identity of the grain, which is really not what we what we kind of set out to do. So um, like the, the, the craft mosses in the, in the States, it's all about fresh, local, um, and supplying local breweries. And there's, uh, you know, I'd certainly like to think that further down the track where we're in a similar situation to the States and we've got um, a, lot of, a lot of breweries using locally grown, locally malted products from local craft maltsters um, and, uh, and and one of the big things that's happened in the state is some of the legislation that they've started to spring through. I'm sure if the listeners are familiar with the, the New York State um, farm brewery uh, um, legislation that was brought in, I think that was a couple of years ago now, but basically it says that to be called a New York State beer um, by you know, end of 2010 you must be using 50% of your ingredients must have been uh, grown and produced locally. By 2024, it's 90% of your ingredients must have been um, grown and, and produced locally. And, and it's really driving um, these smaller um, smaller producers, smaller craft mosses, smaller hop farms, smaller um, farmers, and and uh, it's really yeah doing some. And a few of the other states over in the US have started to implement some similar kind of legislation as well. So I'd like to think that Sometime in the uh, in the near future, um, Australia kind of starts to follow down that path. We're actually able to um, um, 
link consumers back to back to the land and, and really try and drive some more recognition of the work that, that farmers do in the in the brewing process because it's certainly from a from a malt side of view, um, the barley growers are kind of fairly neglected, I think, in the uh, in the scheme of craft beer and um, the, the work and the sacrifices that, that the growers make are certainly, you know, for, for a big part, go go un, unrewarded. Um, I mentioned to someone the other day that, that for us to grow a, a barley crop is a seven-year process, and I know that was certainly something that, that they were just um, quite surprised at. Yeah, and that's kind of mirroring, I guess, what we've heard um, in terms of uh, hop growing and in terms of both, you know, what the big brewers have wanted and demanded uh, in the past that's now shifting with the the you know the the resurgence of of craft beer and the re-emergence of uh, i guess you know the old varieties um it's certainly which might surprise some of our listeners um it seems to be being mirrored in the in the barley side of things yeah definitely Matt. Well, oh yeah no I was, look i mean there is so much that uh i would like to chat about i think we might have to break it up and have another chat with you a little bit later once um we, you know, we can follow up some of the uh, things that we talked about in, in this uh, episode, Stu. I'm just sort of mindful of the time. We've been uh, chatting away for an hour now. Um, so we might... Uh, yeah, so it's, it's, it's been a great chat. I've been absolutely fascinated. So thank you very much for joining us. Well, and, uh, no, John, and I do apologise. I do get very uh, uh, excited about, uh, about craft beer and, and farming and... And, and malting and what we're doing. So I, I, I certainly probably uh, chewed your ear off for it anyway. But look, certainly happy to um, you know, um, uh, open the invite to, um, to yourselves or, or any of the, the brewers that want to come up and, and have a look at what we're doing, come and have a look around our, our farms and, and you know, taste some of the, the malts, that uh, the finished product, and, and, and look at some of the differences that we're finding in, in varieties. Um, and uh, as I said, for us, the, you know, one of the, the real... Um, exciting things about us having, uh, you know, opening up Voyager Craft Malt was really to work closely with, uh, with brewers. So, um, you know, certainly happy to um, show you guys around or, or any of your listeners around the, uh, the Malt House. Mate, we'd uh, really love to, and Pete and I are, are keen to do a few more road trips um, as part of the show. So we'd definitely like to get down and uh, try those uh, beers that you make and uh, form a view for ourselves. Yeah, that'd be good. And look, if, if you want to, we're set for a, a bumper season this year. We're had another uh, couple of inches of rain last night, and the crops are looking fantastic at the moment. Probably one of the, the wettest starts to a season that we've had. Um, it's going to be a fingers crossed it doesn't fall over with a late frost or uh, or, or anything else. But fingers crossed, we're uh, it's looking to be a bumper season down here, and um, I'm sure we could we could put your boys to work uh, around uh, late November, uh, early <laughs> December during harvest time if you're interested. Uh, mate, haven't you got haven't you got kids of your own that you're about to hand fifty acres over to for their twelfth birthday? <laughs> no, no, I'll just get them mowing the lawns or something. Like that. <laughs> no, actually, a bit of work from in the malt house. They can. I'm happy to pay them away. They can uh, shovel some grain in the malt house for us. There you go. Now, mate, when is the, the circle harvest? of life too easy? When, when, when is the harvest? Sorry, just out of, when is the harvest just out of interest? Yeah, late late November into into December. Obviously, it's um, you know um, weather. Um, you know, if we, we continue to get rain, the crop just continues to grow, um, basically. And if we don't, then it, it dries up sooner than it should. But um, the way it's looking at the moment, it'll be probably early early December is when we'll, we'll kick off. But it's certainly a magical time of year out here in the uh, out here in the Riverina. I mean, it's just a hive of activity. There's um, yeah. harvesters going everywhere. There's trucks. There's silos. It's just a hive of activity, and certainly a, a great time to um, 
to come and have a look at you know just how much um, uh, the, the work and, and how much these communities rely on on you know, essentially uh, the barley industry. Oh, if we wouldn't be in, our, well, Matt, that, in, in the way, I think uh, we might need to investigate that, Prof. Yeah, I was also thinking, Matt, that might be a, a time we call out to our friends at some of the bigger breweries to get some film crews out there to, uh, you know, um, get some footage of the those, you know, waving fields of, of gold for their, uh, for <laughs> exactly. their next come beer and, ads. <laughs> I, I, definitely I, come and taste the uh, Brill and Beer while you're there. I've got That's songs it. from Oklahoma running through my head at the moment. <laughs> that description, Prof. But uh, Stu, thank you very much for joining us uh, on Radio Brews News. Congratulations on everything you, that you're doing, and uh, yeah, we'll we'll definitely uh, try and get down so we can see uh, and taste the, uh, you know, the the full experience. That'd be great. Thanks, guys. Brews News is made possible by Brewpack, Australia's number one craft contract brewer. With over 100 craft beers and ciders on the roster and counting, Brewpack specialises in offering growing craft breweries a home for their packaged and kegged beer, no matter how crafty. Serious about handmade beers, and with an open-door policy, Brewpack's brewers love having passionate, hands-on partners in the brewery. Thinking about craft contract brewing? Think Brewpack. And uh, yes, we thank Brewpack for not only making a whole lot of great craft beers possible, but also for making this podcast possible. Mate, what a, what a great chat. What a great chat with a really, really great bloke. Really good. And we should point out too, for those uh, you know, keen-eared listeners, um, that's Matt's dog snoring in the background, reflects uh, in no way on the interest of the guest or the material uh, presented therein. Oh, can you hear that? I um, See, I can't hear it. I've got the noise-cancelling headphones and it doesn't have a, 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 a sort of monitoring uh, thing, so I, I can't actually hear it. So, yes, that wasn't me right, snoring. Coming through loud and clear. Okay, I'll, I'll try and get through um, as much... <laughs> Good luck with that, Lockie. Yeah, yeah. but uh, no, but look, absolutely great chat, and I, th- I think, Prof, we've never had had it so easy with a guest in terms of just having cracking um, content. Yeah. Here's, <laughs> here's a question. Take it from here, Stu. Yeah, <laughs> I think I asked him the first question. Who's Stu Whitecross? And 15 minutes later, I had to break into sort of because I, I, I was itch- I, I didn't want to move too far on before I uh, went back to to, to to the thing. So great chat, and uh, mate, let's um, you know. There's a lot of things that we would love to, you know, could have, should have, would have um, done. But I w- really would like to see if we can't get down there um, for the harvest and, uh, you know, do a little bit of a road trip. Um, Chris Mac. Well, perhaps, yeah, perhaps the Newey Hunter um, road trip uh, sort of gets extended and, and starts in Wagga, and we sort of, you know, start off with a, a, a you know, a, a sneaky ale at uh, at Thirsty Crow, and then um, head off to Barrellan, and then from there. Who knows? Well, I, I had to I, when he said Burrellan because there is a suburb, an, an outer Brisbane or an outer Ipswich suburb called Burrellan. It's where the prison is, so it's only known for being Burrellan Prison. Uh, and when, you, when you're talking about bit, Burrellan, bit like, bit like Malms, Malmesbury in Victoria, okay. yeah, it's just a youth youth training facility. Okay, <laughs> when, when you're talking about the Burrellan uh, beer project. Um, <laughs> you're thinking of toilet bowl um, hooch yeah. made with uh, whatever sugar you can get in you throw some bread um, orange some, juice and, bread. Yeah, all that sort of stuff in and it's not a mark for anything so that was what if I sounded a little bit um, you know uh, dumbstruck yeah dumbstruck huh? yeah. just say that again but uh, you throw in bags of uh, of malt over the, the prison fence to see what the lads can do with it um 
I don't know if we've got any listeners uh, in, 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 inside, but if you do, <laughs> shout out, listeners. Um, you know, please uh, send us an email. Don't don't come don't come and visit, but uh, um, and, uh, unless it, anyway, probably best not go there. But anyway, cracking, cracking, great yarn, and, and let's uh, look into it. Um, Chris uh, McNamara from the CBA <laughs> took us up on our offer of uh, heading down to uh, the new. You know, had the suggestion that maybe we should um, enlist our, our good friend of the uh, program. Uh, Corey Crooks to see whether we can do a Radio Brews News live in Newcastle. Um, we could yeah. Radio Brews News, yeah, from um, from the uh, podcast from the pub over dinner, maybe. Oh, from the, and, and that can be the start and uh, start of our road trip. So we'll, we'll look into it um, and uh, yeah, see what we can come up with. But I uh, know great, great chat with Stu. And uh, now moving on, um, not too much in the way of cards and letters this week, Prof. Have you heard anything? You've obviously a lot of great chat um, about your man challenge. Yeah, lots of feedback, and I'll um, I'll put that into into a bit of a piece for uh, for next week. Uh, elsewhere, um, as we said, Stu Whitecross has just come on as a as a patron. Prof, I've, I, look, I've been really overwhelmed, I have to say, by the support we've had um, for the patronage and the and, and the Patreon program. I've decided though that I, I'm actually going to pull close down the, the, the Patreon side of it. Um, we gave it a try and uh, as a platform to provide those sorts of subscriptions. Um, and I, look, I, I, I haven't been entirely overwhelmed with what, what they provide um, in terms of the, the, the service. And not only that, but it, it, it's that they don't let you do it in the local currency. So, you know, if people are signing up for $10, which is uh, okay. it's signing up for $10. Thinking US. that it's 10 Australian. Ah, oh, and yeah. it's $10 US. And, and no, no one's had any complaints about that. Um, no one's actually complained. But, you know, I, I, when it starts getting up to $13, $14, that's more than um, I would expect any listener to, to chip in. It, it, it's great that, that people have been willing to do it, but I don't feel comfortable doing that. So, listeners, um, obviously the guys that have come on as um, patrons, um, I'm going to be flicking you email just explaining this decision um, I'm going to close it down before you're charged this month um, but we're just going to go through a, a standard um, subscribe model with um, PayPal so we can just go through you can click the link you just get charged a, a monthly um, $10 it'll be $10 um, Australian the fees will come out from that any of the PayPal fees will come out from that so we get a, you know slightly less um, and then you can um, unsubscribe at any time, um, listeners. So, uh, patrons, thank you very much for giving it a go. Thank you very much for, for um, you know, for what was greater generosity that we actually intended. Um, but if anyone is listening to the show, maybe you've been a little bit reluctant to become a patron or subscribe um, because of, of that patron model. Uh, hopefully this gives you the reason to do it. Um, same deal, $5, $10 um, subscription, or um, there'll even be just a, 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 an out-and-out one-off donation um, if you'd like to. If you're a $10 um, executive producer um, subscriber, you get to name a guest that you would like to um, and come on and ask questions of that person yourself. Um, so, yes, yeah, so, so that's... Um, th th there we go. We might sort of uh, play the uh, money theme song. Um don't forget, we do have a range of merch uh, that we're going to expand. We do have the uh, quality, consistency, uh, balance and style, balance and style T-shirt, um, and I've got to get one of those for you. We've also got the uh, novelty hops, hype, and Brett or Brett novelty hops and hype, hype. Um, T-shirt for those who want to show that you're into the wacky stuff. Um, and we've also got a new one coming up that's uh, malted for those of you who are 
really into your malt, which is probably a, a nice one to launch this week on the back of the uh, the, the malt. Voyager Craft Malt. Yeah, exactly. Uh, now, have we got any... Uh, that's cards and letters. That's our plea for money. Um, anything else that we meant to do regularly? Have you got a pot shot that you'd like to take this week, Prof? No, no not this week. No pot shots? Um, no, we'll cover for next week. So I don't, don't, don't think we've got any other formalities that we need to go through? No, let's let them get away. Had a, had a good feed this week, so... To leave him wanting more, Matt. Absolutely, Prof. Uh, mate, always good to chat and uh, look forward to seeing who you've got teed up for us or <laughs> see who emails us. Uh, who invites themselves <laughs> next week. On the show for next week. Good to chat, Prof. Cheers, listeners. Cheers, Matt. See you next week. And we're out. Also, just uh, I know I've, I think I've mentioned this to you several times before once we met, but I really appreciate what you guys are, are doing. I've listened to all the all the podcasts um, numerous times on the late at night on the tractor or in the malt house or <laughs> driving to and from the malt house. It, it is there's a, a, there's a, a new one. A, <laughs> generally, a great a great show. Um, and uh, look, it's you know I'm, I'm not just blowing blowing smoke up your ass. It's it really is it. what you guys are doing is. is Brilliant! I really enjoy this. It's so much so I actually get a bit of anxiety when the Friday afternoon I'm continually refreshing uh, the, uh, Where is the it? app. And Where is it? Oh, right. up. oh, there we go. There's about a 13 <laughs> day. All right. Yeah. Well, yeah that's pretty right. Um, so no, look, really appreciate what you guys are doing and, and, and really enjoy it.